Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of April 3rd through April 5th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's hanging in there. Uh, while there aren't any box office numbers to go over this weekend, as has become the norm, there's a lot of movement, actually, that's worth digging into in this world of box office news. As noted last week, Wonder Woman being pushed back to August of this year from its original June release date has opened the floodgates for other films to be pushed back. Let's go through each of the five major studios to see who has all made announcements. First up, we have Disney, who made an update announcement about their updated set of films that reads like a bunch of dominoes falling one over another, one film taking the place of the next. I guess this works out when you have so many dates planned out for your cinematic universes up until 2022. So Mulan, originally releasing in March, is coming out July 24th this year. This puts this Jungle Cruise from its July 24th this year to July 30th, 2021. Black Widow from Marvel Cinematic Universe, originally on May 5th, is getting pushed out to November 6th, 2020. This pushes The Eternals, which was had that date, to February 12th, 2021. This pushes Shang-Chi, who had February 12th, 2021, to May 7th, 2021. This pushes Doctor Strange 2 out of the May 7th, 2021 date to November 5th, 2021 date. And this pushes Thor Love and Thunder out of May out of November 5th, 2021 to February 18th, 2022. In addition, they also announced the Captain Marvel sequel, Captain Marvel 2, coming July 8th, 2022. Uh, in addition to these films, uh, they also announced that the untitled fifth Indiana Jones 5 uh, will be cut moving from July 9th, 2021 uh, up to uh, July 29th, um, 2022. So we're getting pushed back a year. Uh, notably, what happened here is Spider-Man 3 did not move from its July 16th, 2021 date, probably due to their cooperation with Sony, and that would require some agreements on their part. Uh, in addition, in relatively other important news, uh, Artemis Fowl got moved out of their May release date uh, to a direct to Disney Plus streaming premiere. Um, I did get in a bit of an argument uh, over the week with somebody um, about whether or not Black Widow or Mulan would or would not come to streaming, as per my episode last week. Um, and I think it makes sense for... Um, Artemis file to be pushed back just because of the pushback. Um, you know, while Black Widow or Mulan would definitely makes hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, it could be very well that you know the Artemis Fowl film was cost about 125 million by the estimates I can see um, would not be able to recoup that loss in theaters, so they might as well cut their losses on advertising and just go straight to uh, Disney Plus. Uh, in addition, Disney has not yet moved. Pixar Soul um, out of its June 2020 spot, though if it does, I'm willing to bet that it'll take the place of Raya and the Last Dragon, the other Disney animated film scheduled for this year for November thing in Thanksgiving. Um, so Raya will probably be pushed back uh, if they if Soul does move to the November slot. Uh, in addition, since Disney owns Fox, there are a couple of updates there. Um, 20th Century Pictures has Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds moving from July 3rd to December 11th of this year. The Bob's Burger movie moves from July 17th, 2020 to April 9th, 2021. And then uh, the indie film, uh, the art house film from Searchlight, The French Dispatch by Wes Anderson moves from July 24th to October 16th of this year. So I can stay in contention for uh, Oscars. Um, 
There are no updates for the personal history of David Copperfield, Antlers, Woman in the Window, or, as always, The New Mutants. Um, And also, Spielberg's West Side Story still stays in its December slot as well. Uh, Moving to Universal, Universal has set the new date for its Minions 2 movie. Pushed it back a year from uh, July 2020 to July 2021. Um, this pushes Sing 2 out of the July 2021 date to December 2021, uh, which I think is actually a good move because as we saw from Secret Life of Pets, uh, when a film that did good in a holiday release comes out in the uh, spring from Illumina- in the summer from Illumination, um, it didn't do as well as the original. So Sing 2 might have a chance at uh, doing well over the long holiday season. Um, in addition, the supposed w- Wicked ap- adaptation, uh, which was originally in that December 2021 slot, no longer has a date. Um, in addition, their Jordan Peele-led horror film Candyman moved from June 12th of this year to September 25th of this year, so coming up on Halloween. Um, and then the animated film Crudes 2 has not yet moved out of its December slot of this year. Moving to uh, Sony, Sony moved Ghostbusters 2, which was coming out July of this July 10th of this year, to March 5th of 2021, uh, and then the Venomverse film uh, Morbius um, moves from July 31st uh, of this year to March 19th of 2021. Uh, Tom Hanks had a war film coming out, Greyhound, uh, moved out of the June 12th date um, with no set date yet. And then interestingly, Kevin Hart uh, had a drama called Fatherhood that was originally coming out Martin Luther King weekend, January 15th, 2021, moved actually up, the only film I've seen move up um, to October 23rd. Uh, This is probably because uh, there was a Jennifer Hudson-led Aretha Franklin biopic uh, called Respect, um, that while it's getting a limited release in December of this year, Christmas this year, to still have Oscar contention, uh, it's going to be going out wide on MLK Weekend, so they probably didn't want to compete against that. Uh, Peter Rabbit 2, which was originally an an Easter release, so actually coming out uh, in about a week or so originally, got pushed back to August 7th and has been pushed back again to January 15th, 2021. Um, and in addition, the video game adaptation uh, film Uncharted moves from March 5th uh, to an October 8th, 2021 date. Um, this moves an untitled Sony Marvel collaboration film, maybe uh, Venom 3 or some other you know Venom-related villain, uh, moves out of October 8th, 2021 to a TBD date. Uh, Paramount has moved top uh, the Tom Cruise uh, Top Gun Maverick film uh, from June 24th of this summer to December 23rd, 2020, so moving to a Christmas holiday release. Uh, this pushes their sci-fi film The Tomorrow War off of this Christmas release to an undated date. Um, the A Quiet Place 2 sequel, um, which was originally going to come out of March of this year, um, got pushed back to Labor Day weekend, September 4th. Um, this is the same slot that it uh, originally came out in, so that should be good for them as a horror film. Um, and then the SpongeBob animated film uh, moves from its May 22nd date to July 31st of this year. Um, in addition, uh, Eddie Murphy's Coming to America has not yet been moved or affected from its December date. And finally, Warner, who kind of kicked all of this off by moving Wonder Woman 2, has yet to make any other announcements regarding its films, aside from that Wonder Woman moving. Uh, notably, they, are still ha- they still have not yet moved Christopher Nolan's uh, film Tenet out of its July spot this year. And then Godzilla vs. Kong and Dennis Villanueva's adaptation of Dune are still 
locked into their November and December slots. Um, that's looking pretty crowded given that Black Widow and No Time to Die has moved into that space. Um, so it's uncertain if they're going to move or keep it there or whatnot. Um, their animated film Scoob and Lin Manuel Miranda John Chu musical In the Heights also have not yet received a new date after moving out of the May and June slots respectively. So I know that was a lot of dates, uh, but in terms of what to keep an eye out for, I would say keeping an eye on Pixar's Soul, which currently has a release date of June 19th, Warner's Tenet, which still has a July 17th date, and then Disney's Mulan, which has a July 24th date. Um, those are the ones to keep an eye on, because if they're able to stick um, in those dates, those will probably be the first films that people go back to theaters to see, the big blockbusters. Um you know that the earliest film scheduled to come out. Um, if it is, uh, if it is too soon, and you know June or or probably June will be too soon, but definitely if June will be too soon. But if July ends up being too soon for theaters to reopen, um, if that's the case, and these films do move, um, I don't know when they would move, what they would move out um, to, you know, to to be able to compete. Maybe into that December, November stuff. That's looking really crowded right now. Um, you know. If they all move, the next ones are uh, SpongeBob, as we know, that moving to July 31st, and then Wonder Woman on August 14th, um, and then we'll see if those end up, you know, moving as well. Um, the only other kind of interesting story between now and July will be if STX's My Spy gets pushed back. It's already been pushed back twice from a 2019 date to a January and then now a March release date, uh, or I think yeah, May release date. So I don't know if it's going to still come out, if it's going to get pushed back, or if it's going to move to digital and streaming. Um, in any other case, one bit of news is that China, you know, temporarily had opened about 5% of its theaters last week um, before President Xi Jinping ordered that they all be reclosed until further notice. Um, because, you know, when they open up and, and let up on social distancing, it caused the number of coronavirus cases in China to be in the rise again. Uh, this does have implications for here in the States, you know, as I kind of just mentioned. Uh, what if we do get new films released in July or June uh, that theaters are open for, um, but then we see a recent surge of coronavirus, uh, will it cause more theaters to reset down again here in the States? Um, and if it does, you know, is that going to cause more things to be pushed back if, you know, we don't stamp this virus out for good um, on the first try? And is it causing, you know, a whole other case of musical chairs? Uh, but more presently, uh, and as I noted last week, I want to talk about the international market and how it plays into the overall box office industry. In fact, I think I'm going to combine this week's box office concepts with a top, kind of a replacement top five um, to kind of look at the top five territories of the box office and some vital statistics about all of them. So that's going to be this week's box office concepts. So to start, according to Comscore, uh, the total worldwide box office for 2019 was $42.5 billion dollars. $42.5 billion with a B. Um, $11.4 billion of that, or about one-fourth, comes from domestic market. Uh, and when we talk about domestic, that refers to U.S. and Canada, uh, otherwise known as North America. Um, Mexico is generally considered part of Latin America when it comes to box office distribution. Um Probably because of the way that films are handled, you know, the Latin American market, usually with Spanish-speaking dubs, are handled as one unit as opposed to the more English-speaking U.S. and Canada. Um, I couldn't find any other realistic reason for why this is this is the way it is, but we'll just roll with it. Um, you know, when I tried to find numbers for U.S. and Canada movie theaters, I could really only find the U.S. theaters, but oh well. Um, 
you know, so total population uh, is about 357 million people total, which out of a popula world population of 7.53 billion people uh, only really represents about 5% of total population in the world. So, you know, 5% of the population makes up 25% of global box office. Uh, the domestic North American box office definitely punches above its weight class. You know, digging into the numbers, uh, within the U.S., as of July 2019, there were 5,869 total theaters, uh, 321 drive-in, and 5,548 indoor theaters. Um, as we talked about uh, in per theater averages, um, the number of theaters doesn't always correspond to the number of screens. Um, in the U.S., there are about 4,613 indoor screens, roughly about 7.32 per theater. So, you know, even if um, you know Avengers Endgame and um, some indie film come out on the same weekend, in the same or you know some other big film come out the same weekend, same number of theaters, you can see a higher per theater average because um, theaters may choose to show you know if they have seven screens, they may choose to have six of them be dedicated to Avengers, one of them to this other film, um, even if they cover the same number of theaters, that affects per theater average. Um, and for most countries, you don't actually have a number on total number of theaters you can get number of screens. So I'm going to be using that number uh, throughout this analysis. Uh, some of these cinemas are independent theaters. Anyway, so some of these theaters are independent theaters with only one or two screens, and others, like the AMC in Times Square, which I go to quite often, has 25 screens. Um, interestingly, one thing I found that, that, was, that was kind of cool is that the total num while the total number of movie theaters has gone down from the late 90s, there used to be a high of about 7,000, uh, so we're down to, you know, 5.5 thousand um the total number of screens has actually gone up it used to be 30,000 and gone up to 40,000 uh in that time period so you know there's been a consolidation of movie theaters serving a larger area and having a larger co capacity uh, and this is predominantly from big chains and we'll get kind of into some other metrics for this when we get to other countries uh, speaking of AMC and big chains, they are the uh, AMC is the biggest theater chain in the states. It owns eight thousand and forty-three out of the uh, forty thousand screens, uh, and six hundred thirty-four movie theaters out of the five about out of the five to uh, five point five thousand or so. Um, you know, this is eighteen and eleven percent respectively of screens and theaters. Uh, Cinemark, uh, sorry. Sorry, 20 and 11%, my bad. Uh, Regal is close behind with 7,178 screens and 546 theaters. This is the 18 and 11% of screens respectively. And then Cinemark is kind of further behind. Uh, they only have 4,630 screens uh, and 344 theaters, 11% of screens and 6% of theaters. Uh, notably, uh, all of these have in the neighborhood of about 12 to 13 screens per theater above that 7.2 per theater average kind of working out that you can see that they own if they have the largest number um, they bring that average up uh, in Canada again these are US these were US numbers in Canada the biggest chain is Cineplex uh, which has 1,695 screens uh, in 165 theaters for about a 10 screen per average theater and then again, one more note uh, before we go to the next territory. Um, about 90% of box office revenue comes from domestic films. And these are films produced in the States, uh, which makes sense. We have Hollywood. We like our Hollywood films. Um, you know, foreign language films uh, don't do as well here. So it makes sense that about 90% of revenue in the States for box office comes from domestic films. 
All right, moving on to the second territory. Uh, it's China. Uh, no big surprise. Uh, China is the second largest territory. In 2019, they made between 8 and $9 billion of the $42.5 billion box office. Um, this is about 18% compared to the 25% that North America makes. Um, this is with about 18% of the world population, so it kind of tracks uh, uh, not as many view movies per per uh, individual um but there's a lot of individuals in china um as of 2018 the best numbers that i could find china had about 10,000 theaters uh and about 45,000 screens again in comparison the u.s had only 5.5 thousand theaters uh and about 40,000 screens um so you know a lower per theater per uh, screen per theater average um but just as many screens um and as of 2020 actually this number has gone up to 70,000 screens so that's a pretty substantial growth um and I couldn't find a number of theaters uh, for 2020 unfortunately um this is pretty spectacular because as recently as 2007 there were only 3,527 screens um that's total screens um not theaters and this has increased 20-fold to 24,000 only over seven years to 2014 and again it is it has multiplied again um by a factor of by a factor of three um over another seven year, six or seven years um as a comparison if we take the the u.s population and divide by the number of screens that's about one screen for every eight thousand residents uh in china that number is only about one screen for every twenty thousand citizens um so as china continues to you know grow its middle class and build out theaters um to meet its its population's demand it's going to become more and more of a force um, there are a couple of actually interesting quirks when it comes to China's box office, um, aside from this, the sheer number of people watching movies and the number of, of theaters out there. Uh, one that I find really amusing is that in China, the Lunar New Year holiday, which is about a week's time uh, in January and early February, this represents 10% of total box office for the year in China, or about 2% of global box office worldwide for the entire year. Um, so in comparison, the weekend, the whole week, not just the weekend, the week when Avengers Endgame come out in the States, uh, didn't even break 5% of total domestic box office. It only made $534 million. Meanwhile, Lunar New Year 2019 in China made $860 million. If you've seen the film, uh, The Wandering Earth is when that come, came out. So, you know, absent any epidemics or anything like that, the Chinese Lunar New Year is the single biggest movie weekend in the world. Um, there were other peak periods of film in China as well. Uh, summer vacation, the first week of October, which relates to Labor Day for them, and around the uh, Christmas holidays, it was about a week. Um, but interestingly, these periods are often limited to only domestic films uh, as opposed to international films. This is so that domestic film industry is protected uh, during these peak times. China produces you know, over 800 films a year, which is actually more than the U.S. makes. Um, but you know, also... Each film, both domestic and international, only gets one month in theaters. Uh, we've talked in the past how um, here in the States, movies, if they do really well, can run for three, four, five, even six months long in theaters. Maybe not a ton of theaters, but they're still running for multiple months in theaters. China, your film only gets one month in theaters, uh, which is, again, pretty nuts. Um, uh, films, there are exceptions. Films can apply for a permit to um, extend its its time in theaters, but this is only really granted usually for domestic films. Uh, speaking of international versus domestic films in China, another interesting quirk is that China officially can only import 34 foreign films, and th in this case, foreign from the 
foreign is from the perspective of China. So things from Hollywood counts. Um, the vast majority of these films are Hollywood films, though South Korean, Indian, and British films do make their way in as well. Um, again, in comparison, Hollywood only puts out Hollywood puts out about. 700 films in a single year so only five percent of our films make it over and these are usually the biggest films now this 34 number has been surpassed in recent years i think there are about 42 films uh, that made their way over in 2018 um i think this was supposed to get renegotiated in the trade deal though who knows who the status of that um but you know this quarter has led to some changes in the way films are made uh, for example this number only applies to foreign made films so if your movie is a co-production with a chinese studio uh, it doesn't count against the quota um so legendary pictures who produces the godzilla versus king kong films uh is owned by the china chinese uh, company wanda group um in addition the distributor exhibitor split we talked about last week um for local productions, is 43% goes to distributors, um, which is much more favorable than the 25% that goes to distributors for foreign films. Again, that 50, 40, 25 rule we talked about last week. Um, also, Hollywood films will usually find a way to be set in China or have a Chinese actor in the cast. For example, in Iron Man 3, there were extended scenes featuring a popular Chinese actor. And most recently, Disney's Mulan, uh, which was supposed to come out, um, featured the popular local actress Liu Yifei, Liu Yifei, Liu Yifei in the lead role. Uh, and finally, but no less important, uh, films will often self-censor or be cut in order to meet the demands of Chinese censors and increase the chance that a film will make it in. Uh, films that deal heavily in death or the supernatural um, don't usually make it in, as well as those that comment on social issues, uh, particularly those related to LGBT rights. Um, you know, there are, you know, on here in the West, you hear about, oh, this Disney film has like an LGBT um, character in it. That character is often cut out of uh, Chinese, uh, the Chinese cut of the films. Um, even little things such as not including a Taiwanese patch on the jacket in the new Top Gun Maverick sequel happens. Um, in fact, part of the reason that Joker last year was such an amazing story is that only the third film ever to break a billion dollars without coming out in China. Obviously, China wouldn't want a film about disrupting the social order uh, to come out. Um, now, of course, films who don't make into this 34, 34-ish quarter of uh, foreign imported films do find their way into China in other ways. Um, aside from pirating, local distributors can buy out the license for Chinese uh, for China distribution at a flat fee, um, but usually this fee is relatively lower, and then the distributor, a uh, local distributor, gets to keep 100% of box office receipts for themselves after the split. Um, you know, there are about 50 ish films or so that do make it their way into China in this way uh, that they wouldn't otherwise. So even though, even if the fee is low, Hollywood distributor may decide, you know, it's worth it just to get something rather than nothing. Um, even with all of these difficulties of working with China, you know, even with local films, you know, they, they've gone up more and more of a share of Chinese market. About 64% of films now in, in, in revenue in China from the box office are from local films, um, and foreign films are making up less and less. You know, the chance for Hollywood to get a slice of that juicy China box office pie um, and to boost to their bottom line uh, is too huge to pass up. 
uh, and you know some film and film franchises rely on this more than others. The Fast and the Furious is probably the most notable for this. Uh, Transformers as well, um, which went so far as to become a Chinese co-production for Age of Extinction. Um, so you know this is a trend we'll continue to see moving forward. Um, and you know even without Hollywood, it's only a matter of time until China's box office overtakes that of North America. So, moving beyond China, uh, the third biggest market in the world is India. Now, compared to China's eight to nine billion, uh, India's box office is much lower at only about two to three billion, uh, despite having the same population. Part of this is due to the infrastructure is not, you know, being in place. Um, you know, we have about ten thousand screens here in the states. Uh, oh, sorry, forty thousand screens in the states, seventy thousand in, in China. Um, India only has 9.6 thousand screens, you know, less than 10,000 screens. Um, that's not theaters, that's screens uh, for the huge population. And, you know, the vast majority of the screens, about 6.7, are in single screen theaters as opposed to multiplexes, you know, that have multiple screens. Um, the other defining feature of Indian cinema is that compared to China, you know, which makes, as I mentioned, about 65% of its total box office revenue from domestic films from the Chinese perspective, Indian, uh, uh, India makes about 90% of its box office from domestic productions and only 10% from international films. And, and boy, there are a lot of them. India studios outproduce uh, US studios films with about, again, 2,000 Indian films being made every year as opposed to the 700 or so US films that are being made. So, you know, almost three times as many films are made in India. Um, of this 2,000, about three to 400 are Hindi language films produced out of Mumbai. Uh, this is what colloquially is known as Bollywood. Um, however, this is not just uh, the Bollywood isn't the be all end all of Indian cinema. In fact, there are 27 different language groups officially recognized by the Central Board of Film Certification in India. Um, you have Kannada films, pronounced uh, that language films that are from what's known as Sandalwood, Telugu films, uh, which is known as Tollywood, not to be confused with. Bengali language films, also known as Tollywood, uh, Tamil language films uh, are known as Kollywood, uh, Malayalam fil language films are known as Mollywood, and Marathi language films uh, don't have a nice wood nickname yet. Um, but the, you know these are all the language groups that have more than a hundred films. Um, there are you know like I said, twenty-seven different language groups uh, that produce films in India every year. Um, so you know because of the heavy reliance of India on local film and the lack of infrastructure. That's why it's not really considered as much of a lucrative market um, for a potential box office as China is. Uh, close after India with you know similar box office numbers is Japan. Uh, they also make about two to three billion total US in the box office. Um, as I noted before this so uh, one of the unique traits of Japan's box office is that it has it's a region that perhaps is the one that's most in love with animated films. Um, last year in 2019, three of the top 10 films were domestic anime films. Uh, four of the top 10 were foreign films uh, that were, you know, Disney films that were adaptations uh, of animated films from the past or animated films themselves, such as Frozen. Um, and there was only one film in the top 10 that was a domestic live action production. Um, a little over half of the total box of office, um, about 55% or so, um, comes from domestic films, and the rest are international films. Um, another quirk about Japan, and again Korea, um, is that they actually report total number of tickets sold for any uh, theater, um, for any movie, 
uh, which makes analysis a little bit nice on that end, uh, as opposed to the states where we don't really have that those kind of numbers on you know this many people went to go see um, uh, uh, Avengers just because, and then we only get box office numbers, which you know you add in IMAX and 3D, and that just changes the that makes it hard to figure out the price. Um, so you know uh, Japan. Um, uh, does produce about as many films as Hollywood here in the States is about 700 total um, and they have a total of about 3.5 thousand screens um, I couldn't find a number for theater so you know this is um, you know not a lot this is uh, um, about a third-ish of what uh, of India has um, and less than you know 10% of what the States has um, you know about one screen for every uh, 36,000 citizens as opposed to the US which has like one for every 8,000 however because Japan is a much smaller country and more densely populated this kind of makes sense um, if you were to do it by area uh, the US has one screen for every 93 square miles um, while Japan has one screen for every 41 square miles um, and then finally one other territory I'll touch on is the United Kingdom um, they made just under two billion in box office, um, with over half of the numbers coming from foreign from foreign films. Um, you know, the only the only uh, country in the top five to to do so. Um, they have you know forty two and a half. Uh, 4.2 thousand screens uh, in 775 theaters. So about five or six screens per theater. Um, this works out to about one screen for every 15,000 citizens, about twice that, um, you know, about you know half as many screens per citizen as the States has, or about one for every 21 square miles, so that, which is the most dense um, you know, distribution of screens. Um, there are about 200 to 300 total productions in the year from Britain, um, though some of these are joint ventures with Hollywood. Um, and after all, we have a ton of, uh, you know, ton, ton of uh, British actors coming over and taking roles in our Hollywood films um, to the point where it's kind of hard to remember that they're actually, in fact, separate. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, Harry Potter and James Bond are just two franchises that are definitely British films. Um, notably, also, the British Film Institute and British Academy of Film and Television, or BFI and BAFTA respectively, are both pretty well-renowned organizations when it comes to film criticism. Um, and again, this is just the, so, again, this is just the top five countries or regions, uh, North America, China, India, Japan, and then UK. Um, the next, you know, uh, South Korea is, I think, believe, number six. Um, there are a number of um, European countries and Australia, um, who are also in the top 15, and then as far as Latin America, um, it's mostly Brazil followed by Mexico, um, kind of, you know, mostly just due to the serial population of those uh, countries. Um, you know, one other note is that the $42.5 billion that I mentioned, um, that number is actually up uh, year over year from 2018, about 2%. Um, that, that growth actually comes from the international numbers. Domestic box office actually shrank 4% over last year, dropping from uh, about $12 billion just to uh, $11.4 billion, um, whereas the rest of the world grew about 4%. Um, so while many reports on the box office rightfully do look at box domestic box office numbers predominantly, I think it's important to pay attention, um, at least check in to box office numbers for Hollywood films that do open abroad, and maybe keep an eye on films that do really well abroad that come to the States. I know I've definitely watched some films uh, in China that come from China and from India that do make their way over to the States just because, hey, this was this broke box office records in China and India, might as well go you know check it out to see what the hype's about. Um, 
you know, some films, like I mentioned before, Fast and the Furious definitely rely on revenue from international uh, countries to be successful. Um, and, you know, a lot of the world is lagging in cinema infrastructure. Latin America, Southeast Asia, and, you know, the entirety of the African continent um, come to mind as, you know, potential places where there could be growth um, due to the population and, and lack of infrastructure. Um, but the future of the, box office of the box office industry will definitely be exciting to follow in the years and decades to come as this pans out. So, as noted in the last show, um, there are no box office numbers this week to go over. Um, actually, I haven't been watching any movies this week, to be honest. If you couldn't tell uh, by the way I talked about anime in this episode as well as uh, a couple episodes ago, um, I'm a big fan of Japanese animation, and the spring 2020 anime season is starting up. Um, so I've been spending my time watching the first episode of about 30 anime or so that are coming out um, this, this this season. Um, I might be starting up another a- an anime podcast cast uh, but not a lot of time for traditional films i will be you know finding time to watch uh david fincher films for my other podcast but yeah i'll let you guys know whenever that anime podcast comes along i think this would be if not this week probably the week after probably next week uh, on friday um but yeah in any case uh that wraps up this week's watch i uh, hope you enjoyed the um the news about the musical chairs dominoes of uh of box office dates and then as well as the top five of the top five uh regions for box office uh if you have any feedback or suggestions for other box office concepts to cover uh send me an email at box office watch podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at bo watch podcast uh, you can find us on spotify itunes and google play uh if you could leave us a review on your podcast service of choice or on podchaser.com uh, that would be super helpful i'll include those links in the show notes Numbers used in this episode come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at philincompetech.filmmusic.io. Uh, editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, our watch goes on. Bye, guys. Bye.